Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, a podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. And I'm your host, Donna Bishop. And I'm joined today with two wonderful guests. Here in the studio is David Dixon, award-winning fashion designer, most recently the 2017 Fashion Impact CAFA Award winner. David's stunning garments are sold across Canada, the States, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Switzerland, Germany, Hong Kong, Tokyo. And he's also a committed member and president of the board of directors at the Toronto Fashion Incubator, which is especially wonderful since you were a resident there from 1995 till 2000 as you were building your own label. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And also, uh, Susan Langdon is here. Susan is also an award-winning fashion designer. And in 1994, she took her deep knowledge of the industry, her passion, and her leadership to sit at the helm of the Toronto Fashion Incubator. And they are lucky to have her still as the executive director. Thank you very much for being here, Susan. Thank you, Donna. Thank and you for your And full disclosure, Susan, you are not feeling your best today. That's so right. an extra special thank you for... Uh, for being here. My pleasure. Um, for for people who aren't aware of the incubator, mm-hmm. can can you and David please jump in, you know, just give a little bit of background about what the uh, Toronto Fashion Incubator is and what makes it so special. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Toronto Fashion Incubator was founded by the City of Toronto in 1987 as the world's first fashion incubator, um, a model that would help uh, new and emerging fashion entrepreneurs launch and grow their business. We've created over 18,000 jobs since 1987. That this is, is our, 30th, our 30th anniversary year. And our, because we're so successful at doing what we're doing, which is economic development, our model has been copied by London, Paris, New York, Milan, and 30 other cities around the world. So exciting. So exciting. And how did you find the incubator, David, as a designer when you were you know, launching your career? Well, the funny thing is I actually started off with my own studio. Uh, I started my business in 94, um, but people, because I was associated, um, I started my, the launch of my collection during the Toronto Fashion Incubator New Labels Competition. Well, it wasn't a competition then, it was a new label show. And it just so happened people associated me with being at the incubator. So I thought, well, I might as well just move there. It was right. literally around the corner. <laughs> Since the association is there already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it literally was around the corner from my current, my 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 studio at the time. Yeah. But what made sense for me was the fact that uh, it was just a community that I was already involved with by going through the new labels um, sort of process and meeting Susan at the same time. Um, and that be- started my career because in 94, I was just getting my feet wet. Right. Right. Well, it's certainly because of uh, your position with the Incubator, Susan, and you know we've known each other over the years. I thought the two of you would be a really wonderful partnership to talk about our subject today about why fashion matters. You know, is it more than than just you know fluff? Which I'm saddened to say that I think there is, you know, a, a small population, hopefully, but there is a perception out there that it's it's not a very substantial or important industry. So I can't wait to dispel that. But before we jump into that meaty discussion, um, I start all of these with asking my guests to share uh, a brief moment about when fashion changed your life, when fashion had real impact for you. So David, I'm going to throw it to you first. Okay, well, uh, just a little bit of history of myself. I'm the youngest of six of Irish immigrant parents, born here. Um, so fashion really wasn't... For my mother, fashion was important in the fa- in the sense of style, not necessarily right. fashion or what's the trend, what's that. She wanted to keep us in, keep us looking like we're a part of the community as opposed to not, you know, being pegged out as different. Mm-hmm. Um, so she tried her very best to keep us with a sense of being put together without really 
realizing that we're following fashion or the trends or things like that. So we were, she was very conscious of that. But for me, that shining moment was uh, like, I was always illustrating, drawing, and it just sort of happened, morphed into, I was drawing fashion, clothing. And that was because of part and parcel because of a fashion a TV show called The Love Boat. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard this. I've told the story before, but um, that was our Friday night special. Pizza and my parents would go out. We would have my older brother, my older siblings would watch me and I was allowed to watch that show. And on that particular episode, Jeffrey Bean, Gloria Vanderbilt, Bob Mackie, Halston, um, there was, and I think there was someone else off the top of my head. I can't remember. But all of a sudden it's like what I'm drawing is a reality. Like, right. so this, it, and I saw this glamorous, you know, fashion shows and them playing themselves and just the introduction of this American fashion, because they were all American designers at the time, um, and how they were, how the show was centered around this fashion event. And it, suddenly that aha moment came. It's like, okay, the things that I've been doodling and sort of experimenting with, and my and love for fabric too. I always like playing with fabric. Mm-hmm. And then it all, all of a sudden came to fruition through that Friday night at nine o'clock. And then it was just like the next day, it's like, okay, that's what I, that's the title of it. It's called a fashion designer. Thank you, Aaron Spelling, for bringing us David Dixon. (laughs) Aaron Spelling is responsible for a lot of careers, I think. That is so So. true. What about you, Susan? My dad had a dry cleaning store on Parliament at Carleton. And after church, every Sunday, we'd go back to the store. I can't remember why. And my older sister and I would amuse ourselves by running through those plastic garment <laughs> things. Probably really not a smart thing a to do. A forest of cellophane. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, choking. Yeah. But uh, we didn't choke. Um, and one day I stumbled upon the stash at the back of the store of these beautiful 1950s gowns, like chiffon and organza and beading and sequins. And I said to my dad, who belong? Like, who do these belong to? And he said, well, that's from a long time ago. People, you know, bring their dry cleaning in and then they just abandon them. So I said, so they don't belong to anybody? He said, no. I said, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps they now belong to Susan. (laughs) So he surprised us. My dad surprised us. He came home one day with a station wagon full of these beautiful gowns for my older sister and I to play dress up with. And we did, and all the girls on the street just, they wanted to play with us because they also wanted to wear those dresses. Of course. And it was sort of like that moment, it was like not as clear as it is today, but I, there was that moment like, wow, this, those dresses were magical. They made us feel accepted. I mean, you know, we're, I'm a visible minority and grew up on the Danforth, which was primarily white neighborhood. Um, and there was some racism, but, you know, when those dresses were available, I mean, everybody just accepted us for who we are. And I realized clothing really has some power, some social influence. That's such a wonderful story. And I think it's a really great segue into our conversation today about why fashion matters, because I think one of the one of the pillars that it matters on is how it matters to us as individuals. Um, I think there's such, as you're saying, power in in clothing. And and David, I'd like to start with you. As a designer, does that idea, like the power of clothing at an individual level, is that something that resonates with you? Is that something that you think about as a designer? Like how how does that 
play into your your role as a designer? Well, I think when I look back when I originally started um, designing clothes, uh, I found that as a vehicle for me to actually express myself and speak for me um, because I was a tremendously shy, introverted person and to, to this day still am. Um, so I sort of found this sort of language within fashion, um, sort of being able to utilize what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, where, where I'm at at a particular moment in time when I develop a collection. Um, I also design, I try to think about the women who I'm designing for and how best for them to be able to communicate their ideas, their values, um, their aspirations through the garments that I design. Mm -hmm. So that's always a key factor when I'm designing the clothes. It's not just about fantasy and my own personal vision. It's about also supplying uh, sort of those pieces that make people feel better about themselves. And they're able to communicate ideas and feelings by just simply by the way that they're wearing their outfit. And is that something you talk with the designers at the incubator about Susan is, you know, how is your how is your customer going to feel in the clothes that you design for for him or her? Is that something that designers are thinking about or mm, uh, what, what no? Do you think? I think when I when I mentor the designers, it's more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. We don't have um, a lot of time. We we meet an hour a month, so mostly it's business, financial, sales, marketing. We do talk about who their target market is. I look over their sketches. We talk about whether something is appropriate for that target market. Like if you're aiming for a woman who's 40 plus, you're not going to make crop tops. This is very true. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes you have to point that out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in a very nice way that it's, it's going to be a very hard sell. And why invest whatever it is, 200 bucks making that sample when you could be using that money to make something else? Or if you have that money to throw it away, then invest it in something else a little bit more meaningful. I know just for in my own experience and and from talking to girlfriends, like sometimes you put on an outfit and you look at yourself in the mirror and you just think, I like I don't feel good in this today. Like so much I, I, I love the act of dressing. It's like who do I want to present? to the world today and clothing plays such a powerful role in that and I think you know having worked retail and whatnot you can see people's posture change if they're in clothes that they feel good about is that something you've witnessed David like when you had your your studio and and even maybe being in some of your retail stores seeing women and men's posture change you know maybe they you know have that a bit of confidence behind them when they're in clothes that that they feel that they feel good in. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've you know been across the country and places around the world where I've done trunk shows. Uh, we've done fashion shows. Um, you know, also when we do fittings for when we do runway samples to samples that are for production to be produced. Um, so the fit model will try something on, and if, and she looks kind of like ho hum, then there's something wrong with the garment. Right. Um, and I'd, sometimes it could be an off day or, you know, a good day about feeling about yourself. But but it all encompasses, I have seen that sort of that transition. And even with myself in a change room, and I hate trying on clothes um, when I go shopping and do things like that. Um, there is that you stand a little taller when you put something on that just feels right. And then all of a sudden your sort of personality feels a little bit more, you know, you're a little bit lighter in your feet. You're standing taller. Um, you're feeling a little bit of a sense of uh, a little bit more yourself, but plus, you know, yeah. plus 10 or whatever. Um, so, yes, and then when I've done trunk shows and a woman is trying something on, I've seen that, oh, my God, I feel 
wonderful. I didn't even think I would even think to try that on. Or um, And then I've seen where I've since they put it on and say, no, take that one off, try this. Right. Because then you can see it's, some things are suitable for different personalities. There's a really wonderful TED Talk with a woman by the name of Amy Cuddy and her um, her thesis and what she's about is there are power poses and when we stand in them, it changes our hormonal makeup. So one power pose being like the Superman pose, for example. And she's done clinical studies and your her, your hormonal levels, like your confidence hormones, actually elevate when you assume these stances. And I've often thought that it would be really interesting to do the similar test with people when they are in clothes they feel good about because I think there really is a... A physiological reaction within us when we're in clothes we feel good about our our whole chemistry changes and I, th- I think when people also compliment you on mm-hmm. you know a new look or a particular jacket or you know that elevates your feelings as well absolutely and when the design of the clothes matches you know a utilitarian factor you know, I think that's another way that that fashion really matters on an individual level is if it has something to do with your your profession, you know, be it because you're um, you work in a trade or you're an opera singer. So it has the right kind of expanse for your diaphragm or like what Izzy does in terms of designing for women in wheelchairs. That element of design matters on an individual level as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So if we take it from individual and now look at it at more of a national level, um, Susan, you've already talked about, you know, how you talk to designers about economic development and their market and whatnot at the incubator. Um, what is what does fashion mean at a, at, a, at a national level in terms of economics? Does it is it a big industry? Oh, it's huge. Um, I don't have stats off the top of my head, but I know consumer spending on apparel and accessories is in the billions of dollars in Canada, more than the fishing industry, which is very interesting. It's very interesting. And yet, you know, they have representation at uh, the federal level, and we don't. But we are a very huge, important economic driver I for think the you, country. I think your um, your comment about the, the government support is interesting, because I don't... Could you talk a little bit about how, in many other countries, what support there is for the fashion community? Because I, I don't know if a lot of people know that Canada is a bit of anomaly in terms of the of the lack of public support in many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know that uh, the UK, Britain, and um, Italy, they have um, a uh, cultural sector development officer dedicated to fashion. I went to London Fashion Week a couple of times and met with people from the British Council. So this is not the British Fashion Council. This is members of parliament. And um, and I asked them, why do you fund fashion? And they said it's, it's, it contributes to culture and the economy. And it's, it's a driver. Um, and I just, you know, I just felt so envious at that. No <laughs> kidding, right? Well, because it's, it's financially, um, I mean, it's so validating when there are those sorts of levels of, of support. Mm-hmm. Um, David, you you've had you know you've produced here in Canada. Do you? I mean, not exact numbers, but do you have a sense of how many lives it touches when you are manufacturing and producing a collection? Like you must have dozens of jobs that you support. Well, I mean the the process is yeah. There's we're so many there. There's so many people that go into what I call making a dress, 
And there could be, okay, there's me who comes up with the initial idea. Then there's the fact that, okay, we have to make it, draft it, sew it, test it, press it, finish it. I mean, there's a lot of hands that touch that garment before it even touches a plastic bag that may end up in a dry cleaner (laughs) at one point. Um, So there's... There, there's a lot of hands, and when you multiply that by the number of units that we produce, there's a lot of people that we're, we're employing, and, and not just on the creative level, but we're also in the skills and trade level, which is a growing need within our country. Um, I believe it's like 54% of jobs that are available now are in the trade sector that they need, not just all these people who sit in ivory towers and ivory offices, that we need people that actually can actually physically do the work. And so that we need more of those people. The industry, that's we don't have enough of that demand, that supply. And so that's why it's difficult manufacturing in Canada. I manufacture here, um, but really it's... we. It's a huge it's a huge industry. Well, and I think what's so important, there are many important things about what you said right there, but what I'd like to kind of zero in on is it's not just creatives that are employed by the fashion industry. There's a whole other swath of technicians and engineers and manufacturers that that are touched. It's not just a it's not just a creative business in many ways. No, uh, the the creative part is actually well, it's the fun part, but it's 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 the small. It's actually quite the small part of the chain, mm-hmm. um, because the whole idea of being a designer is yes, you get to be able to do what you love to do and create things that hopefully someone will admire and aspire to. Um, but everyone like. The day-to-day jobs are those of many different roles: um, technicians, like sample makers, uh, production people who you know who who know how to produce the garments, the pressers, the finishers, the the shippers, all of that. There's so many people who are in the trade who are behind the scenes that people don't see, um, and so that's there's a tremendous amount of activity to put that dress on a rack. Which I think is something that, I mean, that's like the invisible supply chain in many ways, right? Like we think of, you know, the garment as it arrives in the store and we don't think of all of the many hands, as you say, that went into, went into creating it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're starting to see things in different sectors, whether it be in a hotel and there's little name cards saying, Anna is cleaning your room or things like, or someone has done this for you. And then all of a sudden, I think Fruit of the Loom did it once saying, oh, this has been checked by so-and-so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a campaign a while back. And people nowadays are starting, especially I've seen this trend, and Susan could probably talk to this too, with emerging designers being transparent about how where their products are coming from. There's this whole slew of new designers understanding not just the green factor of clothing, but the transparency of where clothing is being made and how many people are actually, and they're embracing that. Whereas before, it was all kind of a smoke and mirrors. All of a sudden, a designer would appear with their collection, take their bow, and thank you very much. Right, right, right. The whole idea of I made your clothes and I'm the person in the factory is something that we're seeing. Yeah, which is I think is wonderful because it also gives them a sense of ownership and a sense of pride of their position. And also, I think, giving the consumers the idea of why why does it cost this much? Yeah. So is that something that gets covered at the that you end up talking either with them directly at the incubator, Susan, or maybe they talk about it themselves as the notion of, you know, the supply chain and the hands and the manufacturing? Everybody's looking for sourcing, you know, whether it's here or abroad. But the people that we deal with, I mean, we're called an incubator for a reason. We're dealing with people who are in the emerging stages. They can't afford the volume that's required to get stuff produced overseas, where you have to order like 
a minimum of 5,000 units or 10,000 units per color. So we do have a conversation about local sourcing um, and ethical sourcing. That is, you know, with especially with the new generation, that's very, very important. Yeah. That, um, you know, people are transparent. But it's not just that. I mean, when you think about all those people that David talked about and more even who touch a single dress, what are they going to do for a living if there's no source? Like if there isn't a David Dixon anymore? Those people do not have transferable skills. You can't take a sample maker and sit her in front of a computer and say, okay, make me an app. Right. <laughs> right. Develop my website. You can't do that. Yeah. It's going to requ- require training, and that's expensive. And so who's going to pay for that training? Not the employer. It's likely going to be the federal government. So I think if they were smart, they would invest more money in in keeping our industry sustainable and growing so that those people don't ever have to encounter those situations. Well, in a conversation I've I've had with um, with people in the fashion industry of late is the 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 lack of national manufacturing. Like it used to be, you know, that that you know things were made in Toronto. Like we've lost a lot of our of our factory our factories, and that's a huge part of the job market that um, that has that has gone away. And wouldn't it be wonderful to bring some of that back? I remember having garments of my grandmother's from Eaton's that had like little made in Toronto you know, tags in it. It, it, Would that be like the manufacturing is such an important part of it as well? Oh, for me, I still manufacture um, everything locally in Toronto. I need to be near a factory. I just need to be near it. I have um, played with in overseas production, um, well, in China. Mm -hmm. And and I just, a couple of seasons, we did a program uh, for department store and we tried it that way. And for me, it was just, it was more work than it was worth, you know, in terms of the quality control, the the way it was finished, um, the way that, you know, that it was put together. And so, and when a factory is close by, you can sort of like, if, if there's a problem, you can get to it right away and see what the problem is before they start developing even more and more problems. Um, so it is, uh, I think it's, for me, yes, it is shortening, uh, like the, the manufacturing sector, but for... Um, and we've even seen that in Montreal. Montreal used to be a huge hub for actual manufacturing. Um, that has been slowly dwindling, and they're starting to send some of their merchandise here to Toronto, so t- taking up some of the factories here. Interesting. Um, so I've had those kind of knockdown battles with some, you know, like, <laughs> hey, I've been here first. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes down to numbers. Okay, who's going to produce more and all that sort of thing. So it is a constant, um, keeps you on your toes to try to keep things produced here in Toronto or in the surrounding areas, uh, but also keeping it at a competitive competitive price that people can still see the perceived value of made in Canada. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that made in Canada piece and that, you know, when we look at the other places where fashion matters, I think it has such value culturally for a nation. Like when I think of, you know, Britain or France or England or part of me of Italy, where they have such a national pride for their designers and and the industry. I get I get a little bit envious of that. Did mm-hmm. you experience that, Susan? When oh, you absolutely. That? You know, when the British government funds the British Fashion Council, you know, that's pretty awesome. And you can't just help. You can't help but be a little envious of that. Yeah, <laughs> a little, a little green around the yeah. edges. <laughs> well, and I think of you know when I've had the pleasure of being to Paris, it just feels like there's this collective embrace 
of their history of fashion. And I guess that is one of the, I don't want to call it a limitation, but one of the realities of the Canadian fashion industry is we just don't have the centuries of ateliers and whatnot that they have um, That's have in Europe. Um do you do you feel the hug of Canada, David, as a Canadian designer? Like, do we do, do we as Canadians embrace our designers like they do, perhaps in France or Italy? Or what's what's your experience as a designer and the cultural relevance on a national level with with the industry? I think collectively, as a, you know, being a, a designer who's in Canada or a Canadian designer, um, the problem is we're so fractured. We have Vancouver, we have Calgary, we, we're just abroad, we're a big country. It's so true. And so that communication and sort of that overlapping of saying of ideas and coming together as a unified group um, is tricky to do because everyone's so busy doing what they need to do to keep busy. Right. Um, as opposed to where, you, okay, you go to Paris, it's been embedded, it's their culture, it's it's what they do. Um, it's the same thing with London and New York and Milan, and even in certain places like Tokyo. Um, so where they, they sort of embrace the fact that that's part of their cultural landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, we're still... I mean, when I go abroad with my collection, they realize that it's made in Canada and, you know, it's by me or whatever. I'm embraced, generally speaking, but it's not at a designer level. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, you know, th- that sort of Valentino or Giorgio Armani's walked into the room. It's like, oh, you're a great dress designer. Thank you very much. We love your product. It's not necessarily a designer product, even though it's at a designer price point. Uh, but all of a sudden, if I sell to a certain store in the Europe... In Canada, if they find out that I'm selling there, they'll be like, "Oh, we'll pick up your line," and then we're sell- a, then we start celebrating it's Canadian a paradigm of so many of our cultural enterprises that that happens, right? It gets a, a kudos abroad, and then locally we go, "Oh, well, that's I've seen." We're it very excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, "Oh, they're Canadian. They've lived in Italy for the past 25 years, and they're Italian designers now, you right. know, because they live and breathe Italian culture." Just the fact that they were born here doesn't make them Canadian. That's what I think. That's yeah. my, my two cents. What do you think, how would you like to see a shift happen? Like if you could wave your David Dixon Harry Potter wand and make a make a shift in terms of either how we embrace the fashion industry or how we fund the fashion industry, what could we be doing better? What would make a real like shift in perception and whatnot? I think well, Susan and I can. We've been, we've been through this for like I've known Susan. She's the longest person I've known in this industry, and we've seen this kind of cycle go up and down. Like, okay, what do we do? How do we do it? And you know, there's ideas of like, do we take a capsule group and we go to a country like what Belgium did in the '90s and Japan did in the '80s, and did this segment of just going to an international fashion capital like Paris, and you show three or four seasons and then all of a sudden it becomes like, oh, nice find. Canada's the new find. New find, you know, found. Right. Um, so, but then again, it comes down to the political thing of like, who's, who are those 10 going to be or who are those five going to be? Um, who are those going to be, rep- who is representing Canada? Um, so the, there is, I think what we need to do, bottom line, is become more patriotic. And I think we have a leader now, like Justin Trudeau mm-hmm. and Sophie Trudeau, um, who are young, there's a new face on Canada. Um, and plus, just politically speaking, and also economically, and also um, how we are in terms of our representation as a country globally, I think I've never seen it this positive in the past. Um, and I've seen 
like 22 years of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there is a real stronghold in terms of what Canada being the next new discovery. I think even Women's Wear Daily or Vogue called... um, Susan, can you help me on the way? Was it, was it WWD? That it was Women's Wear Daily. And yeah. said... Uh, Praising uh, Trudeau's accolades on his... And Canada Who Knew or something like that? Or <laughs> oh. something like that. There was... That, I can't remember the title. Well, I'll that, look it up. Yeah, we'll put no, it there, on the show. There was though. an article that was actually, and I forget the actual headline, but it was saying Canada's the next one. You know, and it was from either Vogue or WWD, which is Women's yeah, Wear Daily. Yeah, Bibles, yep. Yeah, so, and it's, I think it's, I think we're ready we have designers now that are international that are still here. Um, especially we have this growing, emerging um, sort of uh, group that Susan's sort of overseeing as well, who are so savvy at social media, so savvy at um, marketing and branding themselves. Because 15 years ago, branding wasn't even part of, well, you just did what you did. Right. And, you know, and you pick it and you stock it and, it's, you know, you kept it to your aesthetic. But this generation now, they they know all about how to connect. They just need the support of actually now producing what they, their vision is. And I think Susan can talk to that, you know, in terms of... Yeah, we'll pass the Harry Potter wand to you, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I would love to see the federal government... Um, include fashion in their Wear Canada, or um, I think it's called Support Canada program. There is there is a program that the federal government runs right now. Okay. That it oh it's called Buy Canada Buy Canada campaign. I don't know of anybody from fashion in that who's been who's been asked to to participate really? on that uh, yeah, those I any of those councils. I've, I don't think I've ever even heard of that one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that's shocking to me, with uh, considering how much money we put into the the economy here. Uh, it shouldn't be an oversight, but it seems to be. Um, so it would be great if they could dedicate some marketing dollars towards that. Um, you know, years ago, there was this thing called the Woolmark yes. uh, label. And um, that was put out by the International Wool Secretariat, I think, in in Switzerland, and you had to buy a license to um, that gave you permission to sew that Walmart symbol into your garments. And why would people pay that? It's because it brought value. The consumers looked at that logo and said, oh, this is high-quality wool. I'm going to buy this one over this one That's in, you know doesn't have the label. It would be great if we could develop something, uh, some kind of a program like that, you know, where where you know that things are made in Canada ethically. And, you know, even if you had some stats on there, like this garment was handled, you know, in, took 453 hours yeah. <laughs> to produce. Yeah. You know, and we we created X number of jobs out of it. And then, you know, hashtag support Canada. I don't know. I think that would, people need to know the why, right? You can't just say buy Canadian. They need to know how it's going to affect them. Yeah. And so, you know, I when people ask me, you know, what's the point of fashion? Like, what does it really do? And I'm like, well, you know, with all the money that we put into the economy, think about all the tax that's being generated by those retail sales, both federally and provincially, right? Those taxes pay for our CPP, our EI, our OHIP. Um, that affects you. You know, if there was no fashion, then the governments would lose that tax base 
And so everything would go up. There could be user fees. I don't know. But, you know, unless you turn around and make someone think, oh, yeah, that could have happened to me in my lifetime. I think that's going to make a difference. I think you're right. Thank you guys so much for the conversation today. This has been really great. I hope people listening have a new appreciation for the the many spokes and the many hands that fashion touches. Um, I'd like to ask you both just a final fun question, and that is if you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life, what would it be? Susan, what would you wear? It would be Canadian, and it would be all black. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, David? But that's, but that's Susan's every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she already it does was that. an easy answer that for was, her. That was a very easy answer. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of something clever, but uh, the reality is um, I like the whole idea of something timely and timeless. Um, so I still gravitate towards, you know, dark denim jeans, all that sort of thing, clean underwear. I, 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 they <laughs> timeless can be things. They can, they, they can be cleaned, right, if I'm only wearing one outfit. I think it's it's the outfit that makes you feel the best. And some days, I don't know what that is. Like some days I feel like this, and some days I feel like that. So I, I can't, you know, say... I can't be like Susan. Try all black. Yeah. Try all black. <laughs> I, a psychic told me I shouldn't wear black because it reduces my aura. Brings oh, down my aura. Oh, all right then. And that's why I wear navy now. <laughs> Stupid things that stick in your head. I know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I would. Yeah, for me, it would be just whatever makes me feel great. And uh, that's probably a pair of jeans. And what I'm wearing today, shirt and sweater, something simple as that. Love it. Thank you both to you very, very, very much. Susan, if people want more information about the incubator or about what you do, where can they find you? Fashionincubator.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, TFI underscore Fashion Incubator. Fantastic. And David, how can people find you? Um, off my uh, horrible website, daviddixon.ca. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at David Dixon Inc. And Instagram, I'm still figuring out. Fantastic. Stay tuned for David's Instagram account. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. A big thank you to CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, our partner with this podcast. We wouldn't be here without them. You can find out more about CAFA at C A F A W A R D S. And thanks also to our amazing sound engineer, Paolo Fugiuelli. Thank you, Paolo. And if you enjoyed the episode today, I really hope you did. Please tell your friends about it. It really helps get the word out there. If you feel inclined, subscribe on iTunes and give us a high five. And until next time, this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks. <laughs>